This sort of talk is hard to endure. How can anyone take it seriously? That's what those disciples said to Jesus. And as you were listening to today's second reading, it's probably what you were thinking too. <laughs> Wives, be submissive to your husbands. The husband is the head of his wife. That's pretty hard to take, and most people, frankly, don't buy it. And that's why this set of readings is dreaded by preachers and homilists the world over. But I would like to see this set of readings as an opportunity for us to talk about how we Catholics interpret scripture, how we read it, and how we decide what it means. A little hermeneutical ammunition will help us to cope with what appears on the surface to be a pretty offensive reading. First of all, I hope it goes without saying that we are not biblical fundamentalists or literalists. We do not believe that every word of the scriptures is literally true, particularly as we have it in English. I've always said if you want to be a biblical literist, literalist, you'd better be fluent in Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew. <laughs> because if somebody's translating it, they have already made some interpretive choices. But for us Catholics, the Bible is true in the sense that it contains the truth. But to discern that truth requires more than just a superficial reading. We believe that the scriptures are inspired by God, but we don't believe that each word was dictated to a mindless scribe who simply wrote down what God commanded. The Bible as we have it today reflects the experiences of God's people over nearly 6,000 years. And that experience has been passed on verbally, written, rewritten, edited, compiled, redacted, translated, interpreted, and reinterpreted. And we believe that God's inspiration has guided that process, but it's been a complex process. And we don't have the original autographed manuscripts of any of it. They are all lost to us. What we do have is a complex compilation of different literary forms written to different groups of people and for different purposes. So to be able to interpret the scriptures today, we have to have some understanding of when the passage was written, by whom and to whom and for what purpose. And without that information, we can't really understand what we're reading. And our first reading from the book of Joshua is a good example of that. Without any context, it reads like a narrative, like history. But when Joshua was written, history as we understand it had not been invented yet. Our modern concept of history, concerned with accuracy, causes and effects, precise recording and dating of events, was, was a completely foreign concept to those people. And what scholars tell us after detailed research is that they believe that this passage of the book of Joshua is a piece of a liturgy, a public ceremony at which people renewed their covenant with the Lord and rejected the gods of the lands that they were entering. 
Now, for more complete context, we also have to interpret that passage as part of a whole book and in the context of the whole of the scriptures. The section in Joshua immediately after this passage that we heard this morning, as Joshua saying, are you sure you're really ready to commit to this? Because if you mess up, God will destroy you. And the people all say, oh yeah, we're sure, we're committed. And by the end of the book, they're in trouble again because they've started worshiping those foreign gods again. And this, presumably, is why they needed a ritualized public reminder of their commitment to the God of Abraham. Now, Joshua, by the way, was wrong because God didn't destroy them. That's not how God works. So we have to look at the form of the thing we're trying to interpret. And we understand it differently if we know that it's a prayer or a hymn or a ritual or a letter, which brings us to St. Paul. I frequently hear people say, oh, St. Paul is so awful. He wrote all those horrible letters. He's so oblique and theological. And yes, St. Paul can be difficult at times, but as a member of the Missionary Society of St. Paul the Apostle, I would like to think that there's some good stuff in there if we just take the time to understand it thoroughly. And this bit that we have today, like most of what we have from St. Paul, is from a letter. He was writing to a specific community in the context of their culture trying to address specific problems. He was not setting out to define a code of conduct for Christians, and he certainly wasn't trying to write a marriage manual. Now, if he seems dictatorial or even patronizing at times, understand that he was writing to a community in turmoil and he's trying to impose some order on them at a distance. And while he wasn't trying to write a code of conduct, he did use a common household code of the time as the basis of his message. He took a list of principles from Hellenic Judaism and he changed them. The community in Ephesus, now in present-day Turkey near Izmir, you know, he was writing to Hellenic Jews, and Paul, being from Tarsus, was himself an Hellenic Jew. So this common set of household sayings, this household code, would have been very familiar to his audience. But he adds something at the end of each line. He adds a note that changes the direction of the message. So he says, husbands love your wives, and then he adds, even as Christ loved the church. He says, uh, oh, where am I? I'm on the wrong page. There we go. He says, you know, wives should be subordinate to their husbands as to the Lord. The husband is head of his wife, just as Christ is head of the church. Husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church. So he's taking something that's familiar to them and he's adding something at the end of each line. And when we hear this, what jumps off the page to us is wives be submissive. His original readers would have heard that very differently. 
what would have jumped off the page to them is Christ is the head of the church. Christ loves and nurtures the church as a husband loves his wife. He's taking this household code that they already knew and was making a point about the relationship between Christ and the church. If you read the entire letter to the Ephesians, it becomes very clear that the reason Paul wrote to them was not that their women were uppity, but that the church was in danger of losing itself by forgetting their collective relationship to Christ. And it's summed up in the very last line of the epistle today. This is a great mystery, but I speak in reference to Christ and the church. That's the point of this passage. Now, don't you feel a little bit better? I hope so. This has gone on a little longer than I usually do in a homily, but I think this is important. If we simply dismiss passages of scripture that seem to be offensive or inconvenient, then we are falling into our own kind of fundamentalism. It is just as wrong to reject something based on a surface reading of it as it is to accept something based on a surface reading of it. If we want to strengthen and deepen our faith, we are better off trying to accept the challenge of studying and carefully interpreting a difficult passage of scripture. The scriptures are too important to either walk away from it or to blindly accept a superficial interpretation. When faced with the option of walking away when it became difficult, Peter cut right to the point when he said, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of everlasting life. And the good news is we still have those words, but sometimes it takes a little more than the usual work to understand those words.